tradition continues. Welcome to Swing Thoughts, you golf nerds. Hey, listen, if we can't help you, why bother? Hey, listen, if this podcast, if seven years of this show have gone by and you haven't figured it out yet, maybe, just maybe, this isn't the game for you. No, I'm kidding. It'll be fine. Uh, of course, uh, I'm golf spiritual leader, Humble Howard, Humble and Fred Show. And uh, with me, Coach Tim, long-suffering partner on this podcast. You know, it, it, all, it's, it seems like just yesterday we started, and now here we are, many years later, with a, uh, a body of work, Tim. Yep, yep. <laughs> time, time just drifts on. It's yeah. like a friend of mine sent me an email that he's taken his daughter... To university this weekend. Oh my God! Time. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I've had two really big, like, body heaving bouts of tears in the last. I would say in the last ten years, both of which involved my daughter being dropped off at university. The car ride home from that visit, and then when I dropped her off at the airport when she moved away from the city. Both of those times, like, I don't know when you guys, uh, and, and Dr. Ed is here, we'll, if we'll formally introduce him in a second, but I don't know when we're talking, I'm not talking about a tear at the end of a sad movie. I'm talking about heaving, like, Hyperventilating. Bo- body sobbing, full on, um, and both were, was, I, I just couldn't get my head around uh, that my daughter was going to go. Uh, away from home for the first time and then leave the city for the first time. Now, that's my first, that's number one daughter. The second one, no tears. <laughs> <laughs> the second one was like uh, some kind of like song in my head. Happy days here again. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but uh, that's my confession. But you don't have any favorites, do you? Golf is, like, here's the funny thing is, Golf is now golf has made me angry to the point of being apoplectic, but uh, your kids can make you uh, feel emotions at a level that is so different, you know. What about what after a round of golf, you haven't had the the body sobs? I know you've punched. No, no, that's what I'm saying. I've punched the inside of my car, but not to the no, no, golf, yeah, golf doesn't make me sob, it just makes me seethe. How do you like that, boys? Uh, Dr. Ed Collin is a friend of our program, and uh, we're going to formally introduce him in about 30 seconds when we tell you that this show is brought to you by Jonathan Wong Apparel, JWApparelInc.com, B. Dratty, Garb, Royal Albatross, check it out. Of course, uh, we couldn't do the show without our friends at NeuroPeak Pro. Precision breathing is just a uh, an app away. Go check this out. It's really something else. Uh, precision breathing and of course our longtime sponsor TaylorMade not only makers of great golf balls and irons but of course the uh, stealth driver that is producing some incredible you know this carbon wood technology is really something have you not experienced some of your longest drives this summer because I have yes I have yes I have and also pretty cool to note that the winner of the FedEx Cup Wielded a stealth driver. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he crazy. It, he hits it pretty good. Yeah, he hits it not bad. For someone who's about five foot five. <laughs> anyway, TaylorMade Golf 
uh, is where we're at. TaylorMadeGolf.ca. And uh, and now it's our pleasure to welcome back to this program uh, a gentleman that we both are very fond of. Um, what can I, I tell get a you? Music intro. Yeah. Uh, his website, Doctor Edward Collin. You figure out how to spell it. Skill acquisition and what it's all about. A widely acknowledged as one of the top skills coaches working in elite sport today. I mean, why people far and wide acknowledge this? Uh, both Tim and I have had the pleasure to uh, individually and as a group talk to this gentleman. You know, various times in my golfing uh, evolution, I had uh, the opportunity to talk about how to acquire skills uh, with a guy like Dr. Ed. And as always, sir, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I have to. I have an observation I need to share with you. I see I, when I come onto this show, I see my 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 face, of course, and I'm getting older. But you guys seem to be getting <laughs> younger. No, not so really. I'm not too sure what's going on. No, over there in Canada. But if if there's anything that you'd like to share. By all means, uh, please do, because <laughs> with every passing visit, I come away thinking, <laughs> them look like they've actually, they've actually gotten younger. Well, it's not, well, I think it's that, not, it's not think stabilizing. Just, There's no stabilization here. It's actually yeah. you're going the other direction. No, I think we oh. just uh, turned off the HD on our camera. And yeah, exactly. Gone, so, <laughs> well, yeah, that's I, it. I think when I first met you, Dr. Ed, whatever number of years ago it was, like, I'm serious. Like, I weighed... Uh, 30 pounds more than I weigh now because I had wow. just stopped drinking. So I, I've definitely, my whole uh, face has changed. And uh, But anyway, welcome back to the show. Uh, let's get right to it. Uh, Tim, I'm going to just turn my mic off a second while the dog walker comes get Stan. So you guys, let's begin this discussion. Tim and I have been talking about a few things lately. Tim, take it away. Yeah, Ed, we've been talking through the years with you, but also recently about the role of the target in yeah. golf. And through the years that we've talked with you, we've talked about things that allowing your body to self-organize to hit a shot and how so much about golf is adapting to the puzzle in front of us. So I know it's kind of a broad way, but how does the target fit into your approach to this game, particularly around, say, self-organization and adapting? Yeah, yeah brilliant, brilliant question. And uh, as you've already kind of sh- shown there with your own understanding of all of this is that it is uh, it is about self-organization when we when we truly engage with the target our body our body does some wonderful things for us if we are allow, if we allow it to be um, engaged in a carefree way and there's a couple of things that are at play when we engage with the target if we engage with the target and there's three three words carefree careful and careless now, if we engage, if we engage in, a, in a target in a carefree way, the self-organization of that task is significantly better. And we know this from evidence from a, a whole bunch of domains, including sport and within sport, a whole bunch of sports where there's target aiming uh, actions. If we engage in that same target in a careless way, our self-organization is less and our accuracy also decreases. And if we engage in the target in a careful way, equally the accuracy goes down and our self-organization decreases. Now, what's happening here, the sciencey bit, is that there is a biomechanical 
relationship happening between the human organism and the target. And careful and careless work against our natural biomechanical um, engagement of a target, but carefree works really nicely with it, where we are, we're, we're free from any um, fear or anxiety about what might happen with this shot. So as you guys know, I work with quite a few pro golfers in a bunch of tours around the world. And even at that level, even at that level, there is a lot of noise that can come into a player over a shot when they're at a dress. And what one of the things we, we work on, and it's different things with different players, of course, all the time, but is that idea to be over the shot and feel carefree over the shot. Not careful, which will bring tightness into, into uh, the action, which we know again from evidence, and not careless, which will bring an excessive looseness into the shot. But just carefree, a, a fully engaged athletic movement with a target, a really clear target in mind. When we do that, we tend to be able to increase the likelihood of a favorable outcome. Now, one of the things that is added to that target-oriented work that we would do either in a practice environment where we'd still have consequences and, and try and make it representative of the tournament or even in the tournament environment is that we engage hugely in pre-acceptance at address of the ball. And this is something that I'll even do with friends of mine who would be just maybe going out for a game of golf and they'll say, Ed, will you give me a little, give me a tip for the day? And I'll say, well, a <laughs> tip for the day, okay, you're not a pro, you, you, you love your golf, you might be a single handicapper, you might be maybe up around 10, 12, 14 handicap. I said, tip of the day is accept all possible outcomes before you, reach, before you address the ball. Mm-hmm. Accept that it could go left, it could go right, and it could go exactly where you wanted to go. And if you feel that you can make peace with each of those three things, I might top it, I might sky it, and so on and so forth, and accept any outcome that I'm going to go address this ball, I'm going to do my very best. I'm not going to intentionally top it. I'm not going to intentionally snap hook it or slice it. I'm going to really try and engage with the target and be only engaged in that target when I'm over the ball. That pre-acceptance is inextricably linked to this carefree idea that we speak about when we're speaking about target-oriented work. You know, and golf is the ultimate in target-oriented sport for me. We, we've had similar discussions about pre-acceptance and acceptance uh, in various forms over the last four or five years. And, and I want to make a distinction, and, and maybe you can help with this, because there's the pre-acceptance before you get over the ball of, I'm, I'm willing to accept whatever outcome will happen. I get that. But then there's the idea of actually over the ball. And I believe that's a little bit of a distinction because at the moment of truth, sitting, you know, whether it's putting or making your drive, are you able to make a carefree enough swing with a background of acceptance? I think that's the, the, uh, and I guess what I'm asking is that's a bit of a disconnect, I think, for people because they may say an intention for the day is to be accepting of whatever happens. But at the moment of, of, of ultimate truth, which is I'm now going to hit this shot. Why does that f- show up as more difficult for most people? So and that's a brilliant, brilliant point to raise because it is in that little moment beforehand when, you know, again, if we're practicing, I'll say, well, were you able to? Say, yeah. And he's like, well, yeah, it doesn't sound like yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's like, what, 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 what was it? Well, I was actually really good as we were, you know, and I was talking you through what it is and then I got over the ball. And in just that moment of pure silence and stillness, it came back in. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. So that's where we now need to address our focus and put our attention on. 
So in that moment of silence and stillness, which tends to happen before we actually pull the trigger, that's when I'll say, okay, so what, what are you looking at at that time? And they're like, well, I, I can't remember. I said, okay, because you hadn't, you had allowed yourself to drift away from what we, what we had spoken about. We'd gone into the address saying, I'm actually comfortable with whatever happens here. I, didn't, I know what I'd like to happen. Of course, I'd like to hit it to my target and that target might be 15 feet left of the flag or it might be straight at the flag or it might be below the flag if it's an uphill put and so on. But I'm also, so I'd like that to happen, but I'll accept if it doesn't. And then when I just get over the ball <laughs> in that moment, it's like, but it's the 18th and this is to win my first tournament as a pro or it's this or that, you know what I mean? Or my first time to break 80 or whatever it might be. And I, at that moment, I say, okay, well, that's that key moment where we bring our focus down into that really pure micro focuses that spot in the ball what what dimple are you looking at now there is decades of evidence around this stuff about our capacity to split our attention is almost impossible as humans so we're really good at enabling one thing to happen if we truly are locked in on one thing if we are truly not locked in, we can accommodate loads of different people in our heads at any one time. Mm -hmm. And they're all the gremlins. That's the <laughs> potential interviewer at the end of the round. That's the sponsor. That's the, and so on and so on and so on. You know, it's the, the beers in the clubhouse afterwards. If you miss that two foot put on the last and so on. We're really good at letting loads in if we're not really good at just locking in on one thing. So for so on that point, Howard, and that's th this is what's this is what's so good about that question. We we're really good leading up to that. I've got good acceptance. I address the ball, and in that moment, I want you looking at the ball, and it's incredible. Even at the even at the professional level, the amount of times I ask players, and he or she will turn to me like, "I actually don't remember." And I'm like, "Well, if you were truly looking at the ball, you'd remember that." Mm -hmm. Timmy? That's really interesting because it connects with what we, we talked with a pretty interesting fellow a couple of weeks ago, Izzy Justice, and we just like saying his name. We like saying Ed <laughs> yeah. Collin well, too. <laughs> and he was talking about that as well in terms of he used different phrases. He talked about mind wandering and how you can be over the ball and, yeah, all this stuff comes to you. But I love what you went with that because the last time we had you on – our, our podcast you talk we talked about quiet eye mm. and so much of that was focusing on the ball and what i think that some of our listeners might get maybe a bit confused about is that if you're staring intently at the ball it might be the the t and taylor made or you know, a, a dimple is there the risk that that ball becomes the target rather than the flag stick or that faraway bunker is the target. So again, we we have a really good understanding from some nice work done in neuroscience about how we're able to hold images in our in our minds. So for example, if for whatever, you know, if if I had an accident in the morning and I lost my sight, I would still be able to see around my home without my sight because I'd have those images still in my mind. I'd be able to know and navigate around my, my own little garden in, in the back because I'd still have an understanding of where things are. Even if I was still, I would still be able to see, well, that's where the hedgerow is and that's where the patio is and that's, you know what I mean? 
we were able to hold these images. And it's like, even if you ask somebody without having it to be lost of sight, go back to your wedding day or go back to your graduation day. You can have really clear images of, of something like that. I'm sorry, to be clear, which wedding would you like me to think about? Because, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm, please, please continue. I just was, I got caught up <laughs> okay. in the moment. Okay. I, I apologize. No anyway, so some wedding that I went to. Yes, I got it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the key, the key, so the key to this is that in the, in the address as we're looking at the target, and if we are, again, like the, the quieter, if we're truly looking at the target and we're really clear yeah, I'm aware, I'm aware where there's trouble. I'm aware where the hurt is in the wind. I'm aware of all that. That's good. Okay. But I'm also really aware of where I'd like it to hit. This is where I'm aiming for. And it almost creates that kind of a negative, like if you take an aperture from a photograph and there's the black and white negative, you will have that, you'll have that image in your head of, well, like, actually, if I close my eyes, I can still see where the bunkers are. I can see where mm-hmm. the water is and see where the trees are. And the incredible thing about that is if, if that's the image that we're aiming for, we can hold in an acute format, we can hold that image in our mind's eye. So when I'm looking down at the ball, that image is still very present in my mind's eye. Very present. So I'll often, I'll often, you know, if we're, if I'm doing some of this kind of work with players, I'll say, well, you, you've got the eye on the side of your head that can still see the image. So uh-huh. I have, I'm looking down at my, I'm too normalized, and then I've got my my ear eye because it's, that that eye is actually located on my uh, on my ear, and that's looking straight at the target that I I just looked at mm-hmm. and burned into my my consciousness. Lovely. So that's that's there. That's that's imagery, and we all know about the work of imagery and visualization and so on. So that's there. That won't distract me from that acute final fixation that, that um, Joan Vickers talks about in, in The Quiet Eye. There's also some really lovely work, again, back to that first term you used, Tim, about self-organization. If you gave me a club and did not tell me that you would reduce that club by an inch in length or an inch and a half in length or lengthen it by an inch or two or an inch and a half in length but it was the exact same club my normal club but somebody had stuck in a little extra piece in the shaft or took away a little bit of the shaft right remarkably when we do these type of tricks with people we still self-organize to make connection with the club and ball bat and ball racket and ball you name it racket and shuttlecock and so on and so forth how, how do we how do we do that and yet we are able if we are engaged properly with the task to make those adjustments. And what oftentimes happens is that we get distracted from those tasks by internalizing our movements into, and again, I, I know both of you would know of this work, internalizing our, 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 our focus of attention into body part movements as right. opposed to keeping our focus external. So there's, there's such a wide range. And this is why I, like I have some wonderfully engaging chats with, with golf coaches over, uh, on a daily, if not weekly basis. And one of, the, one of the things that always draws us into really good discussion is, well, why do we get so caught up with technical work? Because as the more and more we read, the more and more we engage with the, our, the fellow the players that we work with, and some of us work with two, the same player and so on and so forth in different areas of their game. It, it, it is that catch to bring us back to, well, hang on a second. We're incredibly clever at self-organizing. Right. And again, the other word you used and a word I love using is that attunement. We attune incredibly well. If you ask me to go out and walk on the road outside my house with my trainers on, I'll walk a certain way. If you tell me to go out there now in a pair of flip-flops, 
I won't think, oh, I need to now walk differently in my flip-flops. I will just adapt because I have flip-flops on. Okay, dog. I go out my bare feet, I'll adapt and I'll just do that without much conscious thought because I'll be adapting to the surface of the ground underneath me. One thing we know from uh, any number of appearances is that we don't really need to ask too many questions, but I do want to jump back in to something you said about 10 minutes ago, because I want to I want to I want to clear up any confusion because we had a great like I, I listened to Dr. Justice. Izzy Justice is the guy we're talking about on Carl Morris's podcast, more friends of the yes. show. We got Izzy on our show. And one of the things that he talked about, and again, I want to make sure there's we're not confusing that. Are you saying that holding the target in your third eye or your ear eye, as you call it, what Izzy would say is we're talking about putting. So you want to start it on that line and then you come back to the ball while thinking of where you want to hit it to. And his point is the long, the better you get at holding the target in your mind's eye, third eye, whatever, the better you will self-organize and make a pleasing stroke on the way to that target. But you're saying that thinking of that, or I'm, this is where I was confused. Are you saying that thinking of that target introduces an element of craving or the arrival fallacy or whatever you want to call it? No, I think I'm in agreement with Izzy in that the the attraction, the attraction of that target in my mind's eye, will we will hold that okay. for that period of time when then I need to then look at the ball. So you're, yeah, but that's play what, around with what uh, Jordan uh, Speeds does. Yeah, or Sasho McKenzie would say. But yeah. so the idea is, and, and a, a couple of the guys that you know we interact with, some guys that I've been working with, have had great success with this, which is learning to get the target in that in your mind, come back to the ball while still somewhere that target is what you're thinking of versus how to hit the putt. And Izzy's made a great point. If you stop and find yourself thinking about how to instead of the target, you need to stop, acquire the target, or he would say, hold the target, yeah, like and then make the stroke. Yes. Yeah. And, and again, uh, I, I, I can't, I think that aligns with my philosophy, aligns with my approach yeah. and my understanding of what the evidence would suggest. And I wanted to make that point because I know you were going to start talking about wearing flip-flops on a country road and some kind of, I mean, I know you well enough now that who knows where that was going to go. That could have gone on for 10 minutes about footwear and why feet are important and what science. Irish Jake. That's right. What science has to say about how feet work. And I'm like, okay. All right. So target acquisition is a a skill to be acquired. Yes. But finding the golf ball and having that be your last point of reference. That's what you say. Yes. Well, because like anything else, it's 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 like... It's like when we see rugby kickers, Dave Allred, who does, who's done a lot of work with Francesco Molinari. He wrote his great book, The Pressure Principle. He did a lot of work with Johnny Wilkinson and kicking. It still comes back to the point of, well, hang on, where, where is this human organism, this body, where is it making contact with the object? And it's making contact with it either through this club, head, or this foot to the ball and so on and so forth. So that's where my final fixation needs to be. Especially when we're talking about a stationary ball. It's mm. very different when we start going into things like tennis, where we, we don't, we, 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 you know, we're not looking at the racket coming back and having the racket, racket to ball contact and so on and so forth, because obviously it's moving, there's a lot more dynamic variables to be considered. But when it's stationary, well, let's take that as a gift. 
And that's why sometimes when I hear coaches saying, oh, it's so much harder because it's stationary, I'm saying, whoa, whoa, let's turn that around. It's a, it's a gift, guys. It's not going to move on you. You're not going to get tackled while you're doing this. You don't have to – and even and not, not only is the ball not going to move, the target's not going to move either. So can we actually just start maybe changing the, the narrative around the difficulty that the golf shot can be and actually start maybe seeing the gifts that it actually offers, the fact that it's stationary and there's – and for a lot of the shots – on the tee and on the green, we can place it. <laughs> we, <laughs> oh, no. we choose to put it back. We can clean it on the green. We can put it on the tee box where we like. These are all things that I think should be seen as an asset and a positive for our engagement in it to help further help our attunement. Not to take us away and be thinking, oh, this is so hard. <laughs> yeah, but golfers make the game so much more difficult than it really is. I know in my own coaching and when I was taking lessons, it, it, it's kind of like the the coach offers something and sort of like we just need to go an inch but we tend to go a mile <laughs> and where yeah. I'm going with that is yeah. I remember when Bob Rutella, I don't think Bob Rutella is at fault but I think a lot of golfers got their head around that aiming at the tree behind the green wasn't good enough and aiming at the branch wasn't good enough you were supposed to be like laser focused on a leaf behind there and what I'm connecting to is that I think golfers think this is what I gotta do I, 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 I gotta get this ball this target burned into my mind and I think what you were offering a few minutes ago was it's almost like like you said a negative it's like this this kind of this an awareness that the target is there but that's very different than having like this laser focus so can you explain what's the right relationship here what's the balance we need to strike with engaging with the target yeah, brilliant. And I'm going to pick up on the word balance. The balance comes back to the three words I just I mentioned earlier, carefree, careless, and careful. That balance is in our relationship with the target. If our relationship with the target induces tension, because as you said, but it's got to be minuscule and it's got to be microscopic. And how de- That, by the very way I talk about it and the way you talked about it, will bring attention into us because we'll have to squint to see it. We'll have to tighten our bodies to see it and engage with it. As opposed to, okay, yeah, that's the tree. And I might even, and I'll bring it down to a small, a small, uh, meaningful target for the, for the player as well, as they will and they, when they begin to own it themselves. But, but the, the reason we're doing that is to allow them to be free with it, not to be overly careful with it. Now swing. Be athletic over this shot, you know. Enjoy, enjoy the fact, and again, enjoy the fact that you've identified where you want to hit it. Great. There's no ambiguity now. Enjoy. You know, wait, you, wait, wait. We're talking about golf here. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I thought golf I know. was a grind. I thought it was like you know, like it's as as GSL says, it's it's between eyelets of joy and seething. <laughs> yeah, but that's the point. I'm spending far more time working with players in the in in the environment where we're trying to enjoy the challenge. I'm not saying, and again. All the research I would have done was strongly related to deliberate practice, where it's not inherently enjoyable, not immediately rewarding. You know, it is effortful and so on and so forth. There are the tenets of deliberate practice, and they still hold true. But there's a difference between enjoyment and inherent enjoyment. It's a big difference. I can enjoy the challenge of what I'm doing, and actually, which will relax me and think, actually, I, I look forward to this. Mm-hmm. Let me see how athletic I can be on this, as opposed to, it's got to be tough or it's terrible. Well, you know what? There has to be some, again, not inherent enjoyment, which is I'm doing stuff just purely for the fun. 
Right. That's a big difference. That is, there, there's a big difference. But there's no way, and again, Rory McIlroy is not winning last week, having started triple bogey, bogey, and so on and so forth. If he didn't enjoy the challenge of what out, well, that's what I that, that's what I wanted to kind of jump in and say because one of the, you know, you and I spoke quite a bit a few years ago when I was, you know, trying to ascend to greatness, and uh, we talked a lot about introducing consequential practice. And I've quoted you. You probably don't, maybe you don't remember telling me the story about, you know, introducing this game with some of your high level pros that it basically, you know, you told them, Hey, we're going to go play a practice round, but you need to have two birdies in the first six holes, or you have to go home, not go leave the golf course. You need to get your clubs and leave the go, go home for that day. So that introduced a consequence to it, but it's maybe not the most enjoyable thing. And what I wanted to say about Rory, and, and you, you brought it up, is people who react that way see the vagaries of the game as a challenge versus as a personal affront to yeah. their minimal skill set. And well, finish by saying, because I played with somebody recently, and, they, and, and I remembered what they said. They hit a shot, and it wasn't a very good approach shot, and left them 30 or 40 feet from the flag. And they said, oh, great. Now I get to practice my lag putting. And I thought, that's a different way of looking at it. You know, not yeah. most of us yeah. don't do that. You know, yeah. we hit it in the bunker, and we think, oh, I'm in the bunker, versus, okay, here's a chance for me to work to show this skill that I have. And I think yeah. that's where players like Rory and others that exist at a different level because they see it as a as a thing of joy. Yeah, and you you mentioned something there about a personal attack and a frontage. I have two boys, okay, ten and thirteen, love their sport, but also beginning to love their pitch and put and their golf. Okay, so when we go out and we play, one of the things that we will do is, okay, well, yeah, we you know the score is going to happen whether we keep it or not. So mm-hmm. let's let's not ignore the fact that there's going to be a score, but we're going to have. We're going to have a prize at the end for the who, those who, who's the best behavior. <laughs> who's got the best behavior out here? Who's the That's person great. who's not going to take this personally? Because the golf cannot be a vehicle to represent the kind of person you are. It can't be, I'm in a great mood when I play well, and I'm an absolute tool if I'm not playing well, and impossible <laughs> to be around. So at 10 and 13... One of the beauties that we've that that has even emerged in the last year or so, and is there will be the score. We'll all know who shot what, and they have their handicap and so on. But there will always be, Dad, did I did I win the behavior today? Mm. You know, and I be like, That's yeah, you did. Be- why? Because there was an out of bounds shot, and then the three off the tee also went out of bounds. But you know what? Five off the tee. He was world class in that he just was like swinging freely, not mm. trying to guide it away from the out of bounds. He just let it go. And I was like, that's phenomenal behavior yeah. because this game is not going to represent how you are, who you are. I'm just going to be who I am, regardless of what the score is doing. Dr. Ed, before we let you go, here's something uh, that I've wanted to ask you for a while because. Uh, you're you're a PhD, like a really super smart guy, and you, you do this skill acquisition stuff. You know how the the body works relates to a target. But one of the things you talked about a few minutes ago is that we have this tendency to internalize, mm. and instead of say swinging to a target, letting it go, it becomes about trying to move body parts in a certain way or or certain sequence. And my sense is that we don't even know. We just 
we don't even know how the body works. I remember like Fred Shoemaker relayed this story about being in front of the uh, Texas PGA. And he stands there, about 900 golf pros who teach the golf swing. And he stands up there and he says, he says, none of us know how the golf swing works. And he goes, what do you think happened? You're right. A shit storm. Because <laughs> he true. says, we don't know. So that's part of what I'm interested in from a, a person like you who studies this and coaches it at a high level is that is that when you're talking about the body self-organizing and that kind of thing, is there almost a mystery of how the brain and the body work together to connect, to hit this little white ball to this target? We don't really know what's going on, but... If we kind of get out of the way, it seems to do a pretty good job, right? Yeah, yeah because again, I think we, we ignore all the work that has gone before us. Like they say, or Homo sapiens, yeah, they say there's been a, about just about 107 billion of them, okay? That's a lot. That's a lot of things. <laughs> that's too many. That's, even, that's, that's too before many. Before we even go back yeah. to Neanderthalus. Yeah. And, Enough of that. And we have too many people. That. We need to shut it down. We need to shut it down the people. Seven billion people have been engaging in movement for how many? I don't know how many years. That's why rounds and, take and, so and I, long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think we, we forget that there is a huge amount of there's a huge amount of work that's already gone into the fabric of making us what we are and what we want to do sometimes. And it comes in swings and roundabouts. What we want to do is we, we want to intellectualize it far too much. And look, I, my, my our students are coming back into university in the next couple of weeks and the first years, I'll see the first years, they come in the freshmen and they're all, you know, the first thing I say to them is that, okay, your, your, your job for the next four years of this degree program is not to learn stuff off by heart and sit in an exam and you know do well and then forget it two weeks later. That's fine, but it doesn't serve you for what's going to happen after. Your job is to learn how to learn mm-hmm. and then know what to what to discard. And that's what that's what the essence of learning is. I actually don't need to know that, but I do need to know this, and I actually need to know how to how that works. But I don't need to know how that works. But we try we're trying to intellectualize everything. There's an awful lot of stuff that's already gone into this that we don't we don't need, and and like that it goes and swings around. You go back to the books of 1972 and 1974 by Tim Galway, Tim yeah. Galway, the inner game of golf, the inner game of tennis. Phenomenal texts from 50 years ago, and yet you'll still I'll still send extracts for that book to coaches and players. Yeah. They're like, wow. That's brilliant. Where can I get that? Now? Well, I was 50 years old. I, came, I only came across myself in 1992 when I was 20 years old, and it just popped the top of my head off. I was like, wow, well, this makes a lot of sense. Long before I went to do a degree and all that stuff, but it's still, I keep coming back to the simplicity of what he was talking about. And the same with Fred Shoemaker. These, these, these men and women, the likes of a Joan Vickers and all these, these, the, 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 these people are actually out there trying to simplify it for us. Well, I mean, think about Bob Rotella's book in 1995, and, and that's what Tim was referring yeah. to. But one of the things Rotella said in that book wasn't just about laser focus. What he said was, if you're not thinking about the target... Forget how big or small it is. What are you thinking about? And to your point about exactly. asking your players, what were you thinking over the ball? I don't know. Yeah. Most yeah. people over the ball are trying to remember. Like I, we've, we've done this joke before where you can always tell somebody, and it's happened to all of us, over the ball, frozen, trying to recall 
the two or three swing thoughts that you were working on on the range. And I've literally thought, I've had to step off the ball and go, hang on a second. (laughs) I've completely misplaced my golf ideas. Yeah. I ask players all the time, what's the alternative? And the reason we've gotten to that point is why... Why not think that this is going to end up well? Why can't yes. we start framing things in, well, I'm actually going to hit my target. I'm going to, it's going to go on the green. I know you need to consider the hurt and you need to consider the wind and the, so on, but let's finish with, and I'm going to, it's going to go where I want it to go. I'm going to execute it on what I, uh, I intend to do. Like, what's the alternative? That you're going to go over the ball exactly. not wanting to do it? And yeah. I think we do get so caught up with all of the noise. And that's, again, as you both will know, I do a lot of work with the noise. I try and turn the noise up in practice to get you better at quietening the noise in competition. Um, well, one of the things that – just I'll try and be brief here. Uh, that's one of the things in my own game I found that I used to go to the tee with something that I was trying to remember to do that day. You know, stay connected to the club or even just to swing to target. Remember to do something. And and this year, the game has, has changed a bit because I'm not going to the tee with any kind of, um, say, whether it be rigid or something I'm trying to remember to do. It's more like having an experience. And I find that what we've been talking about fits with that. And, and golf isn't that, that hard. You know, I still hit squirrely shots like everyone else. I'll tell you. On, there's a big difference that, between having an experience and trying to do something. Yeah. I, on that exact point, I have tour players whose only job for me is to decide on the behavior they're going to be faithful to for that day. Mm-hmm. That's all we discuss. We won't talk about shots. We won't talk about, were you faithful to the behavior that you said you wanted to be like out there? The right. person that you wanted to be, were you faithful? And they'll come back and say, uh, no, not on the ninth and the second, shot in the ninth <laughs> and the 13th, whatever. But, but that's the discussion. But on this whole and that, I was so good. My behavior was so good. Blah, 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 and I was, and all of a sudden, you know, it, it's, it's not a trick that their game begins to improve and the scores will follow if they have a very clear idea of the kind of person and the kind of behaviors that they want to have represent them on the golf course. Well, that be, I love that because, you know, there's a, there's a way of looking at golf, and I wrote it down because of something you said, uh, that uh, the reason that most people don't behave that way is because they think that golf is something that's happening to them. <laughs> it's happening. This is happening to me, as opposed to a sort of sense of remote almost like a uh, detached curiosity about yeah, what's happening. doing this to me. Well, I used to yeah. say this all the time. I mean, I've stopped saying it because I had the epiphany. A couple of years ago, I used to say this bit. I was a joke, right? I, I'd, I'd hit a shot, and I'd say, why does golf hate me? And, and I kept repeating it because I got a laugh with it, but I realized I was just perpetuating an internal belief that this game was happening to me. And I, they, well, and I've used this analogy a few times this year, but when I play ping pong and I hit a shot that doesn't hit the table, I just get the ball and I pick it up and we continue playing. I don't call my, my ping pong coach. I don't stop the game and look in the mirror and do some ball practice. And what was my, why was my wrist not supinating during, I just pick it up and play the fuck on really. And, and I've tried to get to that kind of feel in my golf game to lesser and greater degree, but it's more of the idea that 
I know I'm going to go play today. And for the most part, the more remote I can uh, view my results, whatever they are, the happier I am when it's over. And also, I'll finish by saying it doesn't take a lot of energy out of you because the opposite does take a lot of energy. I, I have a perfect live example of that. What you just discussed there, um, because of COVID and stuff, people, people's players' families weren't able to go out and watch them. Right. So uh, we were at an event during the, during the summer, and one of the guys I work with, his his partner hadn't been out. She hadn't seen him play in a few years. So I'm walking down the the fairway, and we look back at his tee shot, and she said, "I, I can't tell whether he's playing well or not anymore." And mm-hmm. I said, "How do you mean?" He said, "Well." He doesn't, you know, previously I would just watch for his, his reaction to tell me, oh, it's going well or it's going not. So after the round, I spoke, we spoke and I was like, we had a great chat and I was chatting to your partner earlier. And he, she was saying she couldn't tell. And he was like, he said, yeah, I said, I suppose he said, that's kind of based on the work that we're doing. I said, how do you mean? He said, well, he said, I grew up in the, in the guise that if you play a bad shot, you need to let everyone know that's mm-hmm. not me. Yep. That bad shot is not me. So I'm going to make it look like I'm disappointed. I'm really upset. So no one thinks that I'm happy with that shot or I'm accepting that shot. And he said, I, I now work from a place of, well, I'm assuming that everyone out here thinks that I'm trying to do my best. <laughs> That's right. I want all of these. So I'm not, I'm not hitting it into the trees intentionally. <laughs> That's and great. I'm not going to waste energy being upset because it's in the trees. Because when I get down there, I need to have that energy to help me figure out what I've got to do next. That's right. That's, I love that. That's a great place to finish off, you know. Uh, it's... It really does make the game a little bit more enjoyable. Whatever your skill level is, uh, go back and uh, search Dr. Ed Collin on our show. There's lots of, uh, there's hours really now. A whole, we have a whole, <laughs> we have a, the three of us have a whole uh, body of work, a compendium of uh, information. Dr. Edward Collin, C O U G L H L A N dot com. Uh, thank you very much, my friend. Not at all. Thank you. Yeah, you know what you are. You're you're yeah. a very nice person. Tim, I'm going to reply to your email this week. Oh yeah. Don't. I, I'm on it. I'm on it. Reply to Tim's email. I do. Come I on, man. I'm on it. See you guys. All right, man. There's uh, Doctor Ed Collin. That was great. Um, we don't need. A, I don't have a whole lot left. I did want to mention a a friend of ours that's a pretty high level golfer. Favorite Radiohead songs. Oh my god. Sorry, I can't hear you. What did you say? That's one of my favorite Radiohead songs. Ah. Yes. Um, so uh, people know that we're friends with Dr. Charlie Fitzsimmons, and a lot of uh, yeah. friends of our show have uh, reached out to me, and maybe to you as well, and said, hey, way to go, Charlie. Charlie won the Canadian Mid-Amateur last week. Uh, and it was fascinating because the week before... So a couple weeks ago, I spent an afternoon with Charlie just hitting balls. It was so funny. He said to me, hey, I'm going to be, uh, he was had, he had to work with a client at another course. And he said, are you going to be at your course? And I said, I happen to be there. He said, I just want to get some reps in before the tournament. I said, come on over. So we spent a couple hours. And, uh, you know, it's funny. You know, he's, I don't know, was he 30 years younger than me? 25 years younger? 
But we have a great relationship and we tease each other. And I was bugging him because he was hitting balls. And I was like, dude, that's what you're taking into the turn. <laughs> you know, I was doing this with him. I, well, and he would hit a shot and go, that's what you're going to, you think you're going to have a chance with that swing next week. And, uh, and we were playing like, uh, we were like a couple of kids, right? You know, we're playing closest to hitting wedge shots to greens. And if I beat him, I go, you're getting beat by an old man and you think you're going to win. I kept bugging him, you know. That's great. And, um, and sure enough, Charlie uh, started off with a couple nice rounds. And I was sort of early in the week sending him notes after every round, like, hey, way to go, or, you know, how did you feel today? And then I think between the second and third round, I actually spoke to him. At that point, I think he had a four or five shot lead. He shot under par a couple days in a row. And we talked. And I said, you know, how do you feel, blah, blah, blah. And, he, you know, and, and you know, in, in a four-day tournament, there's going to be a round where you struggle. And his third round was the one where he sort of got a little bit of a, it was a bit of a struggle, and he shot even par. And that's why I sent him a note. I said, well, if that was your bad one, hmm. you know, good job. And anyway, long story short, I spoke to him after the round on Friday, and he had had a couple of beers, and he was all excited. And, you know, it was interesting hearing his voice and, and having him, it would, it, I almost booked him for a quick chat, but he was busy today. But just hearing him talk, I think it would be instructive for our audience to know that a guy, you know, a pretty high-level golfer, also had self-doubt during the round, wasn't sure. At one point, he had a five-shot lead. You know, they've all got, you're walking around with score, uh, like whatever those guys are called, standard with the standard bearers, bearers whatever. And, and the guy that was starting to creep up on him was in the group ahead of him. And uh, he walked me through his last four or five holes. And Charlie Fitz, uh, I'll tell you what his strength is. He's a great driver of the ball. And even though he knew that his five-shot lead was now maybe only three, he, he, on the last couple of holes or second last hole, hit driver. And I said, why did you hit driver on that short hole? He said, well, I got up on the tee. I think it was 16. And I knew I was leading, but he thought, I'm going to go with the club that I think I'm most comfortable hitting. And, and I thought, and he sort of talked me through his thought process. And it was really interesting because in the highest moments of stress, Charlie hit the shot, the club, that he was the most comfortable with hitting. And that happened to be his driver. Um, and he was very proud of the way he finished and uh, ended up, I think he won by four. But uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah, I, I was, felt so so good for him. Um, did he also win the Ontario match play? He is did. There? Yeah. Yeah. So there's. And did he win anything else? Yeah, uh, I think he won eventually? like. Yeah, he won. Um, I know he. It's not a. You know, he won our invitational. Um, I think he's. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Which you get. By the way, it's funny. I uh, I didn't realize this. Somebody at the GAO was talking to me about something, and they said about our our tournament, our that tournament, which I finished second, gets ranking points. And I was like, yeah. really? But uh, no, those are. And then Charlie, of course, his biggest uh, tournament is still to come. The Ontario uh, Better Ball and uh, with me as his partner. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I said to Charlie the other day, I said, dude, I got to change. I had to change our uh, our uh, qualifying site because uh, it conflicted with something. I said, I know it's disappointing, Charlie, but you may have to get another partner. He's like, no. It's you and me. And he has a name for me, which I can't say. But uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, I was really thrilled hey, for him. I, cool. Yeah, I, I'm really happy for him, too. So, yeah, let's get him back on the on the, on the the podcast. Um, I wanted to ask you what you see in his approach to the game that's 
that's different and we can learn from it. And so I'll offer my observation is that when I was coaching the University of Guelph golf team and, and he was playing for Western, um, in contrast to so many of, of, of the guys who would arrive at least an hour ahead and they'd all have their AirPods in and, and they'd be earnestly grinding through everything. And then Charles would just seem to show up 15, 20 minutes before his tea time, wiggle around a bit, get himself <laughs> <laughs> get himself loosened up, you know, and then amble over to the first tee and in lots of time to have nice conversations and then just absolutely stripe it down <laughs> the first tee. And see ya. I mean, it was just so... It was in such contrast in mm-hmm. terms of the lightness he brought to it as compared to everyone else. And I just think that that, that was very instructive to me what really good players do. They, they kind of have this lightness or, about them as opposed to this you know, earnest grinding. Yeah, I, I'd say that's a, <clears throat> excuse me, an ab- observation. Thank you. Um, you know, I was talking to Charlie and, um, with one of my guys the other day, I was kind of explaining what Charlie, what the strength of Charlie's games are, game is, and I'd forgotten that part. That he is, he doesn't go to the golf course like he and I were. He, I, that's. I, let me just pause and say that day on the range is the most grinding I've ever seen Charlie do. I don't think, and he didn't say so, but I don't think Charlie was really that comfortable with his swing. Um. Him saying, "Hey, I want to get some, you know, reps in. Do you want to hang out?" I said, "Sure," and I, it was an unusual request because, you know, we've seen each other quite a bit this summer because he's moved to Toronto. But that's the first time that we've ever hit balls together. Like, you know, we've hit balls warming up, and to your point, not very many of them. But Charlie um, is a contrarian by nature. It's why he ended up doing what he does. You know, he sees that he likes to see the other side of things. And one of the first things you'll notice about Charlie, if you watch him get ready, is unlike most people, and I've modeled some of my behavior after this, is he spends an inordinate amount of time getting his body ready to swing a golf club. More than anyone, more than me. And I spend 10 or 15 minutes. But Charlie, if he had no time to hit a ball, would not hit, he would rather get motion into his body. And then play golf versus what you're describing. What a lot of guys do is they come to the golf course hoping to find their golf swing. Right. 100%. You know, and I was like that. My older brother's like that. You know, David is a, you know, we always laugh like he needs to get to the golf course an hour and a half, <laughs> an hour and a half before the round because he's hoping to discover some answers before the bell rings. Right. Exactly. And uh, that actually is my blog that I'm going to. Hopefully, I get out this week. Is basically, I ask people, "What golfer are you?" Number one, you know, needs need to get out to the golf course an hour minimum. And when you get there, you wish you'd got there an hour and a half earlier. (laughs) Find the swing thought that's going to work and the thing that you can take out there. Or do you want to be the other guy who shows up about ten minutes before the tee time, goes over to the tee, takes a few swings, and absolutely stripes it? Mm -hmm. And I think we most of us want to be number two we want to be light and easy and have fun and free wheel it but i would have to say the majority of our listeners and most golfers i know are kind of what i call earnest grinders Mm -hmm. they're trying their guts out and 
I just think is, and this is part of what I think Dr. Ed brings to it in, in terms of what the things that he was talking about, is is just having a degree of, we can do what we can, there's the target, there's the ball, I'm going to hit this darn thing, and letting her rip. <laughs> As opposed to trying to guide ourselves and move body parts in a certain way, which is I, I love the the kind of the three C's there he talked about carefree, careful versus careless, and I've been all of those things. I just wish I could be carefree a little bit more. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I thought of immediately your uh, mantra to the the Guelph golf team about you know care slightly less or slight you know not slightly don't care slightly don't care, and and a lot of golfers would hear that and go, okay, I'd like to be in that mode, and I, I also liked what Ed was saying about you know. What behavior are you going to bring to the golf course? And um, I've had, uh, you know, some interesting success with that the last few weeks. Like, I've played in some tournaments. I've been in some somewhat pressure situations. But for the most part, I've been unmoved to get angry. Uh, You know, and again, it's not like this all the time. But for some reason, lately, I've I've been able to bring an arm's length relationship to what's happening in the game and and enjoyed it ironically i've had some lower scores but i've also had some scores that were like in the middle of my average and enjoyed those days um with a sort of sense a more carefree approach because we all know that you and i care deeply about it but we also care about how do we find a way to you know play well while enjoying the times that you're not playing well. And I think that's probably the key. And that might be something we explore in the next season of this show. And by the way, little housekeeping, this is our last show prior to going to every two weeks. But, you know, we should explore the idea of, yeah, golf is a fun sport to, and it's all, you know, rosy, you know, meadows and shit when it's going well. But I think our show really is about how do you enjoy the game more, especially when it's not going well, comma, which is a lot of the time you're out there. It's not going well, you know? Sorry for yelling, everyone. But it's not. I mean... <laughs> is that the way you want to behave, yell? <laughs> I'm not yelling. I'm just being emphatic. A lot of the time we're out there. It's not going great. Well, it's just what a great story Dr. Ed told about the fellow's partner, the golf professional. Yeah. She says, I used to know what was going on with him all the time. And he decided he wasn't going to show up sulking, seething, or or whatever. He's just like, okay. It's kind of like what she used to say. Um, you know, he hit, hit a squirrely shot. Well, that just happened. Mm-hmm. And if we can accept it like that, then I think that that we can be, hold that balance of of wanting to play well, which we all do, but also just showing up as our best self, being someone good to play with, being able to enjoy the experience, all of that. That's that's so much a part of it. Um, you know, we've all heard of people like, oh, he's a really good player, but he's such a dick. Mm-hmm. You know, gets pissed off and don't want to be that guy. And also, and, and that guy generally doesn't play well or to enormous cost in terms of just how he shows up on the golf course. And I, I really think that the, the bonus to all of this is that we actually play better. But it's, it's giving up on all this, all this self-identity and, and, and 
how you're supposed to act. I, I, the, 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 sort of the, the line I use a lot, I see someone make a really good shot or sink a 20-footer for birdie, and they barely do anything. And I refer, refer to it as the Frank Mahovlich, um representation. Like, Frank Mahovlich would score goals uh, and he would barely do anything. There was no big celly, as they call mm-hmm, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta think it was just like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Well, if you think about the GOAT, and, you know, for whatever other foibles you can associate with Tiger Woods, one of the things that Tiger Woods, one of the sort of less talked about things, is, his, is the strength of his mental game. Like, we could do an entire show um, and maybe get a panel of experts to talk about, and Fawcett would be a great guy. Because a lot of what Decade is based on is the mental strength of Tiger Woods. And you think about what Tiger Woods did when he would celebrate. And think about how odd that was in the men's game. Mm -hmm. That huge fist pump. And how initially it was sort of mocked a little bit or it was was derisive. Because that's not what men do. But you think about what he was doing. He was imprinting those moments. The 82 tournament wins, think about all those indelible moments of, of celebration, of him sinking that putt at uh, Torrey Pines and screaming when that thing went in versus what you just said. You know, a lot of us, you know, sink a 20-foot putt. I, I mean, I, I have built this up to the point where whether it's for bogey or birdie, I fist pump. Now, I'm not freaking out, but I'll tell you, I freak out if you hit a good shot. You've seen me do it. I played in a partner game recently, and my partner sank a putt. I gave him the full Justin Leonard hands in the air. Like, I was more excited for it than he was because, in a way, we're more comfortable with others celebrating. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, if you got excited for me, I would be. But but I'm not as comfortable, men especially, with outward displays of emotion, whereas Ed said, we want everyone to know, that's not me. That shit happened, but it normally, normally doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But it, it does fit into, gosh, I don't know, a stereotype or an archetype maybe. It's more yeah. on the mark of what a real man does. And, and I love Don Cherry, but he used to get on, he would criticize guys for over-celebrating goals. I remember it was... Uh, I think uh, Ovechkin. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. Um, he scored a goal and he put his stick on the ice and he put his hands as if he was going <laughs> to grab it. It was too hot. <laughs> oh, I love that. And, yeah. and Cherry mocked him yeah, for that. Well. And I thought, oh, that was great. And I and I love that. And it reminds me of playing with uh, Henry Brunton, who I think we've had on the show only once. We need yeah, he's a good man, Henry. And... I remember playing with him way back when he was at Lionhead, and this is just after the movie Tin Cup had come out. Mm-hmm. And we're playing, and he hits a drive, and the ball must have separated itself from the club face for about half a second. And Henry yells, almost screams, tuning fork! <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and and it was just so cool. Like He was celebrating and imprinting, to use that great word you yeah. used a moment ago, what that feeling of that swing meant. And that is the complete opposite. Now, I'll just add this one thing, which is the complete opposite, a 180, from what the guy doesn't listen to this podcast. I don't need to worry. But I played him at a gross match play event a, a couple of weeks ago. I think I was one up uh, early in the back nine. At par three, 
I hit it 20 feet, two putt. He's got about a four and a half foot putt for birdie. And he just leaves it on the edge. And he yells the F word mm-hmm. at the top of his lungs. I think it's still reverberating. Uh-huh. The blue springs. Yeah. But at that moment, I went, I won. I oh, knew yeah. at that moment that, that I'd won because he just completely lost his shit. And when you do that, everything goes out the window. Oh, yeah. Dr. Izzy said your brain waves go out the, the stratosphere, the cortisol, and the story, and all that stuff. Versus just being able to, to kind of, you know, you're going to miss birdie putts. You know, that happens. Um, yeah. And, and Well, no. I, I, well, and again, uh, in the category of things we've talked about. I mean, that's part of what Ed was saying. You know, like you, you know, there's a lot of repetition, obviously, because there's really only so many ways to, you know, cut this up and, and talk about it. But hopefully this season has been good for everyone. We hope you've uh, enjoyed the uh, every week shows and um, we'll go to every other week, probably still drop it, as the kids say on Friday. Thanks uh, to uh, everyone that's, uh, you know, uh, sent us some nice notes and um, thanks to our sponsors, obviously. Um, yeah, it's been a weir- weird season. A good season in a lot of ways and weird for me, too. I mean, I won't lie to you. I'm a little bit bummed. I found out definitively that I didn't make it into the field of the Canadian Senior Am. And, Aww. you know, I, yeah, I, 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 you know, but as I've been saying to anyone that would listen, I know, but it's so, you know, play better or shut up really is the point, you know. But, um, and so in a way, like I've still got some pretty good tournaments at Willie Park. I'm playing in on Friday. My senior Ryder Cup team made it to the finals. I've got a couple of invitationals. I'm playing the better ball with Chuck. I'm playing the senior better ball with another good player. But yeah, that was definitely on my goal, my list of things I wanted to do. And um, But that's the great thing about the game. You know, it gives you the opportunity, even at our advanced age, to... Uh, to have a to to set goals each year and like again I don't know what people are like in tennis or other sports you know stupid sports <laughs> that uh, I think any sport that's not golf is like what why are you even bothering but I don't know if you know maybe it's different maybe it's the same they want to if you're a club tennis player you want to win your club championship but um, I think overall like I really like where the show went this year and I and I look forward to uh, many more to come. <sighs> Uh, you're also at the at the end of doing two shows. Yes, I've been doing shows back to back today. And then this show. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're coming to the end of our seventh season, so uh, hard to believe we'll be going into eight. That's if you still want to do this thing. I want to. I think you want to. Um, well, we'll see. Let's not start, you know, <laughs> let's not get ahead of ourselves. Oh, your people. We'll talk <clears throat> to my people. Yeah. We'll, we'll yeah, man. And we'll see. <laughs> Uh, so formally thanks to Jonathan Wong Apparel JWApparelInc.com uh, NeuroPeakPro.com For all your precision breathing needs And uh, I mentioned off the top of the show Like I definitely You know I've been working uh, pretty hard With our boy Brooke Benny Bamalam uh, This entire year Literally there hasn't been a week Maybe one Since January That I have Including yesterday Or I haven't worked out with Brooke But I can tell you So between that And this carbon wood Tailor made driver 
I'm not just hitting it a little bit longer than I did, you know, a few years ago. I'm hitting it way longer. Now, I know part of it is training, but like I told you on that uh, club link shootout a couple weeks ago at your golf course, I drove it to the fringe of the first hole. Like, I'm not talking the red tees. I don't know how far that is, but it's further than a 62-year-old was meant to hit a golf ball. So <laughs> thanks to uh, TaylorMade for that help. Absolutely. Yeah, so much gratitude for... Um uh, Kevin and Nick at TaylorMade and the guys who fit us at the beginning of the year. Um, it's just such a pleasure to play these clubs and just to look down. They just they look awesome and um, they certainly uh, put a good whack on the ball. It's it's a pleasure to play those those clubs. Yeah, even when I see somebody else who has it, like I did this the other day, somebody was playing a Stealth, but it was a different than model my model. But I uh, I can't remember which one I have. Honestly, it's funny. I'm such an, I'm such a not a gearhead, but I picked up his Stealth driver. And it was uh, whatever the one that's different than mine. I was like, this looks, this, I said to Michael, this thing looks great. Forgetting the fact that I have one. It just looks, they really do look good. And and I know a few people that listen to this show that have that got theirs, including my older brother. TaylorMade Stealth is all you need to know. Go to TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca is where you find out more. Tim's blogs and such are there. And, of course, HumbleAndFredRadio.com. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks, everybody. Doc, it's raining in the park. meantime. Sound of the river, you're stopping your whole everything. Ah! There we go. All right. All um, done.